Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. All right, here it is. I'm Keith Lowell Jensen with all your Keith Lowell Jensen needs. Uh, and, you know, largely thanks to our sponsor for making this possible, Burley Beverages at burleybeverages.com. They make artisanal gourmet soda syrups and old-timey shrubs. You know that. Uh, you can get 15% off your order online, or you can swing by the Burley Tasting Room on Del Paso Boulevard. And uh, either place, use the discount code KLJRULES with a Z, uh, and that'll get you 15% off. And and keep an eye on them. They're, the Burley Tasting Room is actually becoming, um, what's it becoming? Burley something else. Burley Pickup. Burley Takeout. Take it. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> That's what producers <laughs> are for. It's becoming Burley Takeout. They got food and all kinds of other stuff happening. Yeah. So they're, they're Burley going to pickup would mean something else completely. Or they might do that someday too, and Gaio. Now you oh, listen. <laughs> anyway, we all we all love Burley. That's the point. Go buy that is the point. Use your KLJ rules discount, get 15% off. Or Joe, tell them how they can just get some Burley for free. Because that's still going on. This is the last week, right? Yep. We got the uh, the contest, the giveaway, the um, mojito kit. Sorry, I'm just going to pull it up real quick. Yeah, the so mo- it's a mojito, mojito kit. kit. With it comes with the syrup, the mix. Uh, it comes with a little fancy spoon. Um, I wanted to say the right things. It comes with <laughs> black black lime bay leaf shrub syrup. That's what the, the that's hell? the important thing. Yeah, that's probably the fanciest mojito you could have. And then, like, fancy accoutrements to make it really cool. All you got to do is add yeah. some booze. And uh, even it, it even comes with dehydrated, dehydrated limes. limes. Yeah, you Jeez. just need – what do you put in a mojito? A little bit of mint? Yep, fresh mint. You got to add and the rum. Everything yeah, you, else will be in the kit. All right. And you can just skip the rum if you want to make a virgin one. But why would you want to do that? Uh, you can also help us by subscribing and reviewing our podcast. And speaking of reviews, uh, you know, and and uh, either of the two people that are on here with me right now who haven't been properly introduced, feel free to jump in if you have anything to say. But I just watched uh, You Cannot Kill David Arquette on Hulu. And um, – what a, what a fun ride. That was a blast of a documentary. If you get a chance to see it, it's about David Arquette's wrestling career. If you're into wrestling, what? which I'm not, but I'm into wrestling by proxy because stand-up comedians love You have other wrestling. people wrestle for you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, like when I go on the road with Johnny Taylor, I'll actually, it'll be like one in the morning and He's got his headphones on and is staring at his phone. And I'm like, what are you watching, bro? And he's all watching old wrestling matches from the 80s. <laughs> it's like, dude is super into it. And one thing I know is that David Arquette is hated in wrestling because he had a belt given to him just, you know, in a, in a publicity thing. And it was one of the worst moves they ever made. Fans were pissed off. To this day, he's hated. And this whole movie is about him trying to gain the respect of the wrestling world. And the movie itself is a wrestling match. I mean, it's a wrestling storyline. It's so well engineered. And yet he, he he sacrifices himself to make it believable. And by the end of it, it's a really fun movie. He goes down to Mexico and he wrestles in the street with the luchadors that like wrestle in front of traffic and then ask for change. And uh, it's a blast. I don't want to say too much and give it away, but it's a fun movie. And I really enjoyed it. If you get a chance to watch it. Um, let me get to so, wait, he didn't go full heel. 
No, he kind of was a heel originally when huh. he won the belt. Huh. And there is a nod, there is one nod to Andy Kaufman in the uh-huh. movie. He's wearing a t shirt that says world champion uh, of wrestling women. Nice. Yeah. And he, he never acknowledges it. He never mentions Andy, but there is that little nod. And it's a bright yellow shirt. It's like the shirt that Andy used to wear. But <laughs> I think he was trying to pull an Andy, I'm from Hollywood type thing. And he was surprised at how hated he was. But you know what? Andy was hated. I mean, that was Andy's whole thing. He got off on how much wrestling fans hated him. Even though both of them love wrestling. They have so much respect for it, but they they wanted to be good heels. Anyway, I think once he, he was too good of a heel and he didn't like it. And, and watch watch the movie, though. It's a blast. That, that's all I'll say. I want to introduce... Wait, before I go, I want to <laughs> give the actual rules for the contest. Oh, I never got around to that, did I? Go but, ahead, Joe. Yeah, there's only three rules or whatever instructions. You got to follow the podcast uh, Instagram. It's KLJ Podcast. And also follow Burley Beverages. And might as well follow Burley Takeout as well, because that's their new venture. And then tag a friend in that post that you'll see that has the mojito picture on the Instagram. There's a picture of a mojito. And you just go in the comments and tag a friend. Yep. What if if you tag two friends or three friends or four friends? Unlimited. And you're entered. How many tags? And you are entered another time for each tag. Every tag. That's great. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. I'm introduce my guest. Uh, honestly, like the nicest, <laughs> coolest headliner I've ever had the pleasure of featuring for on the road. I can give him that distinction, and I don't think anyone's ever going to take that from him. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he writes the best bios, uh, but maybe he does. I mean, short, sweet. To- Here's what he sent us for a bio. The Dank Diplomat has been a road comic and a cannabis activist for a long time. <laughs> it's true. Not since this year or that year, not for, no. the, for quote, a long time. It's a long time. He's got a show on Netflix. Probably has a name, but whatever. He's got a show on Netflix, and he does a bunch of other stuff. Ungayo Bilam, how are you, my friend? I remain delicious. Who did you pay to write that bio for you, sir? I wrote that myself in the middle of the night. I'm sure you sent me some shit that I procrastinated <laughs> on. I mean, listen, you sent a short bio. Like, I could have sent you the link to the full, you know, <laughs> over his 30-year career, Kyle Bielam has played many clubs and colleges, and he works all the weed festivals, and he's been on <laughs> Netflix's Cooking on High, and you've seen him on Evening at the Improv and BET, and he was on a show on ABC, and he had a development deal with Disney. Do you really give a shit? Let's not forget the Sarah Silverman show. Don't forget the Sarah Silverman show. Exactly. Don't forget Sean's friend number one in the classic movie Nine Months. Don't forget all the. Oh, really? Yeah. I I loved that movie. I was a teenager. Sure. I'm Sean's friend number one. I still go back and watch it again. Six months. That's great. Uh, yeah. where, where does the Ngaio Bielam story start? You, I know you have some <laughs> Bay Area connections, but I wasn't sure if you grew up in the Bay Area or here in Born Sacramento. Born and raised in San Francisco, California, in 19th at Children's Hospital. Uh, I went to Roosevelt Middle School. Well, for, actually, first I went to Oakland Community School because my parents were Panthers, and that was the Panther School. So that's where Okay, re- repeat that last detail. Oakland Community School. It was the school founded by the Black Panther Party. And your parents were Panthers. My parents were Panthers. 
My mom was published in the Panther newsletter quite regularly. She was a, a very good poet. And uh, my aunt taught at the school. What's your mom's name? Aurelia Belum, B-E-A-L-U-M. May she rest in peace and may her memory forever be a blessing. That's that's awesome that she was a poet. Was your uh, father artistic as well? Uh, he, well, I don't know. I, I can't really say it. I never really, I mean, you think about like, he, you know, he would get drunk and sing sometimes. <laughs> well, my dad was really funny and very, very smart and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a strong personality and a man of many different facets. True Gemini, if you think about it. All right. So you're growing up in this house with a poet, uh, yeah. with uh, a, a very political house. With, uh, uh, just, I mean, not like overtly political, but I mean, politics are politics. The personal is political. So everything right. is kind of political when you think about it. So you have to stand up for what's right. I think it was Alice Walker. And I say this to people all the time. This is activism is the rent you pay for living on this planet. Nice. And you grew up in the center of a lot of activism. You grew, grew up, up with it all around you. All over, all around. My first words were free Huey. No, they weren't. But uh, my first <laughs> word was cheese, as a matter of fact. But, is that true? Uh, cheese? Yeah, cheese was my first word. That's great. And and your mom I didn't talk until I was like two and a half. Okay. And then you know, and you've never stopped since. For real. <laughs> well, you know yeah. what? That's not actually true. Uh, I've had girlfriends and stuff, and homies are like, "You're actually kind of quiet." Uh, like, right. I'm, I'm. You know. I mean, if I'm on stage or if we're entertaining people or if I'm at a party, then definitely. Turn it up a notch, but if I don't have anything to say, then I don't say anything. You know, I find that I can enjoy being quiet and not needing attention now that I have a place where I get to go and and have all the attention and be loud and get get it all out. Like that could be part of it, but I've also just always been like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was actually on the road with this guy one time. And I can't remember his name because I've been on the road with this one guy one time a million times. There's a bunch right. of guys. Uh, I've been one of those guys. He would not stop talking. Oh, yeah. This might have been me. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. But there there comes a point in the road trip when you're driving, you know, maybe the second day, maybe the third day. You stop talking in the car for at least a little while. You let the music play. You stare out yes. the window. You think your own thoughts. Right. Dude, I mean, DJing. that's why I go on road trips is because I need a little time to think to myself. I might be thinking about a joke. I might be thinking about a personal problem I have. I might be thinking about the next steps I want to take. I'm trying to get my shit together. You can't be yapping at me the whole time. I actually had to say to him, I was like, hey, listen, we're going to enjoy silence for the next hour or two before right. we get to Missoula or wherever we were going. Because you won't. I try, and you try to do the things, right? Like you close your eyes, you lean back. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe, subtle you know, hints. Some subtle hints, like this is time to stop talking. He would not stop talking. You you are the best in-car DJ. Thank you. I, Thank you I don't know much. if you remember when, when we went up to uh, Oregon together, I was the whole time, wait, who's this? And I'm, I'm <laughs> writing it down. I'm like texting it to myself. Like I, I made a playlist when I got home. I was like, <laughs> okay, let's see. Roots Maneuva, NASA. We got- Roots Maneuva is great. NASA is also great. <laughs> Oh, Bruce Maneuver was- is one of the most underrated rappers of all time. Like, and not just for his rapping, which is pretty good, but he picks the freakiest beats and he loves a polyrhythm. And I like, I like a polyrhythm. I like a freaky beat. So, so you're you're growing up 
uh, with art around you, with activism around you, at what point do you start expressing yourself and what were your first uh, forms of expression artistically? Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Okay, so, <laughs> like, I don't tell anybody this story. I must have been like seven, six or seven. I decided okay. I was going to perform at the Oakland Community School. They have like a talent show. So uh, I sang Satin Doll and I did a little soft shoe. And For real? Not, yeah. Yeah. And my okay. soft shoe was not great, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. I also wanted to be a ventriloquist because I saw Willie Tyler and Lester one time and my mom bought me a ventriloquist dummy. And I did Dude, shows me for too. neighborhood kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it. Right? Yeah. I did. I For me, it was... Um, it was uh, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. I was big fans of theirs, but it was soap. It was Bob, oh, yeah. Bob, and I forget who the other guy's name was. I, but played, I think is. played by Jay Johnson. Yes, yes. Ventriloquists are very interesting. Waylon Flowers and Madam. And he oh, wasn't even really wonderful. a ventriloquist, but he was hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I don't think I've had a guest on yet where we had the ventriloquism thing in common. I always think of uh, Kevin Kataoka's joke about, you know, the ventriloquist is really bad. When there's better ventriloquists in the audience, you know, like this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> didn't see, didn't see that guy's lip move at all. Which guy was it? <laughs> right. Who's who's heckling me right now? <laughs> uh, that ghost. Okay, so so you went, you you performed at this talent show, and it did not go well. No, everybody laughed at me, and I was very sad, and I remember crying. And my aunt came up to me, and she was like, "Listen, uh, you're kind of naturally funny." And people don't always know, uh, you know, you're, you're singing Satin Doll in front of a bunch of eight-year-olds. So they're not really going right. to <laughs> accept <laughs> the cultural cornerstone that this is. So don't even trip. And I was like, that's cool. Right. And uh, and as I got older, I realized that, uh, shit, I am naturally funny. And so I definitely uh, try to cultivate that more than almost anything else. But you did end up doing music some more. And I'm wondering which came first. Like, did you... To grow into a musician or uh, and, uh, and then eventually no, comedy gonna, or I was going to be when I was a kid, I wanted to be Calvin Simmons because he was the director of the Oakland, the conductor, the principal conductor of the Oakland Symphony. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he was black and he was cool. He died hella young. Um, and so I played uh, trombone and trumpet and tuba and percussion okay. all through uh, middle school and high school. And I marched drum corps and I was going to be a band teacher if I wasn't going to conduct an orchestra. And that was the whole plan. And then I got to college and it turns out that I'm really funny. And, uh, I started hitting open mics and then the whole plan changed. I was like, I could make a living just traveling around telling jokes and you don't have to deal with kids. Okay. So from when you started stand up, when did your band, uh, most chill slack mob happen? Oh, that was probably four or five or six or seven years later, I probably started setting up in like 1988. And then, so it was probably like 93, 94, because I'd been going to a lot of dead shows. And I was like, you know what? Comedy is great, but I'm trying to touch people sometimes on an even deeper level. And music is very universal. And you could, the words don't even matter sometimes, right? Especially in America. People, People never listen to lyrics. I'm forever surprising people when they go, I really like that song. And I go, yeah, you know what? That song's really about underage girls and crank. Right. Like, what? I'm like, well, you didn't listen to the lyrics? Like, no, I listened to the lyrics. Well, maybe you should listen to the lyrics. My mom was big on that when yeah, I was yeah. a kid. She was like, Do you know what that song's about? Even my dad, too, would be like, What is that song about? Right? You catch me singing some song. 
Uh, right. I remember one time it was it was the eighties. That song came out. It was like Free Nelson Mandela ah, specials, right. aka specials. Right. So I'm singing that song, and my dad's like, "Who's Nelson Mandela?" And I was like, "Somebody who needs to be free." Apparently, I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had to go look it up because I can't. You know, he was oh. right. Got to. You have to know what you're singing. You can't just be singing random shit. Right, right. Oh, that's great. I yeah. like that my daughter will frequently ask me what songs they're about. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times if they're saying something, it's a little more poetic. And I, I give an answer that I thought was such a cop out when I was a kid. But now as a parent, it's the perfect answer, which is, well, what do you think it's about, sweetie? Like, hey. you know, I don't I don't want to tell you without giving you a chance to. You have to learn <laughs> critical thinking. And because like, I don't well, necessarily know. My, it's about a guy on a boat on, on a river. Right. <laughs> And that's bullshit that that song is uh, <laughs> accidentally titled uh, an anagram for LSD. Yeah, sure. I've never sure. I, like they're like, sure look, we even have the drawing the little girl did. I said, yeah, the drawing that you all tittered at and said, oh, we got to make that a song. Look, it's right. LSD. Like, well, come, LSD. On. You, come on. You boys you knew do? what you were doing. It's not a secret. <laughs> they still play innocent to this day. Paul McCartney, oh. like in the last couple of years, even is still like, no, no, wait, that one wasn't a joke. Every, literally every other song, every other song was, was, but not, that one, not the one that actually says LSD. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess got to get you into my life is his love song to weed. Oh, I didn't know. Did not know that. That's oh, he freely song. admits it. He wrote a love song to marijuana when he tried it. He wrote, got oh, to get you into my life because he liked it so much. That makes that a lot song's of sense. gonna mean more to you now, isn't it? It does, especially the Earth, Wind, and Fire version. So, listen, we've talked, we, we've touched now on you entering comedy, and then you and doing music. And I want to get back to both of those things. Okay, but I also want to ask, when did your love affair? When did you decide that you had to get pot into your life? My dad was a big pot smoker when I was a kid, but I wasn't really a big pot smoker as a kid. Okay, like I think. Um, the summer camp counselors let me smoke weed with them one time when I was like 12. Would your father have discouraged it or did he care? Like he, as a kid? Well, I'll, let me finish the story. I will. And then uh, in eighth grade, Alex Studer, who was a horrible and yet great influence on me. We used to listen to a lot of good music together. Uh, and his parents were letting him try public school. I think he got kicked out of his private school. And then sooner or later, he ended up <laughs> at a boarding school. But um you know, his, his parents had their own sort of rich people problems, but, uh, right. but he liked to smoke weed. So we smoked weed a couple of times. One time we snuck off in eighth grade, we snuck off and got high at lunch. And then I got back and I forgot I had a math test and my teacher was so disappointed in, uh-huh. uh, in how bad I did at the math test because I usually really good at tests. I'm not, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm okay at math, but I'm really good at taking tests. It's just one of those things. Okay. Um, it's a performance of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, and then my uh, my mom caught me smoking weed one time in like eighth grade, and she was like, "Well, this is bullshit. Uh, you're too young. You know, I can't tell you not to do drugs or whatever. People do drugs. Your dad likes to smoke weed. I smoke weed every once in a while. But this is this is not for kids. It's for adults. So you just have to wait till you're older, and then you can make these decisions." And then she called my dad, and I don't know if my mom and my dad are agreeing on shit. Then you have to listen. Because they did not agree on much. And so my, gotcha, dad was okay. like, my dad was like, yeah, uh, weed is cool, but it can be a crutch. You don't even really know yourself yet. You can't be relying on this shit at 13 years old. Just wait. Just wait till you get older. Wait till college or some shit like that. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So then I waited till college. I was kind of square 
Oh, wow. Uh, when it comes to drugs until college. And then I started hanging out with the, the Pier Street Party Palace. Shout out to Doug High. Shout out to Diana Brown. Uh, shout All out right. to Lynn P. Havlin. Uh, shout out to Roy. Shout out to Fast Mike. Shout out to BJ Weir. These are my homies. These are my deep homies in college. Nice. Uh, they live two blocks from me. And we would just smoke weed and do theater. That was kind okay. of our thing, right? So you've got a theater phase here as well. Uh, oh, yeah. I was a theater. I was a theater major. I majored in theater oh, okay. with a minor in music, but I was still going to actually I majored in music with an emphasis in theater. But I was because I the plan was to teach high school band. OK. And, um, and where did you say you went to school? I went to City College of San Francisco. OK. And then I went to San Francisco State University. And gotcha. then I, I went to the pros after my junior year. OK. Uh <laughs> After consultation with the experts. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and so Doug Doug and them definitely like to smoke uh, a lot of weed. And so uh, I tried it and I was like, this is way better than being drunk. Okay. And uh, it is. So It's funny because later in life, we don't necessarily think about comparing them. But when you're young, yeah, that's like those are kind of the, the two options that are most readily available. <laughs> those are the most readily available relaxants, right? Okay. No one's like, oh, sure. man, I can't wait to get off work and snort some heroin. That's not right. I mean, you can if you want, I guess, but that's not really the thing. You don't really call right. your homie up. Hey, man, let's get together at six o'clock and do some crank or whatever. I well, mean, also, maybe you do. I know I for know. me at that age, uh, everything's centered also around things you could do with girls. And uh, <laughs> those those were things you could do with girls that also helped you be less of a neurotic tool right. around lower them. The, lower the inhibitions, make everything a little more natural. For right. sure. For sure. <laughs> For sure. And yeah, Most when you're comparing definitely. them, one of them is definitely more chill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, but I still wasn't like an everyday smoker until maybe... 1990 or so and i was like you know what i might i might smoke a little weed every day but it was a conscious decision i didn't just fall into it and i definitely had okay rules when i first started right i was like there's no just getting high and then sitting around so i would wake up and this is before the internet so w- when you were a comic in 1990 1991 you had to have a huge stack of fucking vhs tapes Right. And and a whole bunch of headshots. And I just found some uh-huh. old headshots and some old resumes. <laughs> right. Dude, I just caught the tail end of that. I, yeah. I sent yeah. I sent maybe a handful of VHS tapes I in my sent life. Hundreds. That's so great. Hundreds. And I would send them second day mail. So I would you make the cold calls. You get up in the morning, you make your cold calls. Boom, boom, boom. I want to send you a tape. Yeah, send the tape. So I would send it second day mail. So it would get there like right away. Right. And nice. I'm trying to show that I'm a fucking professional. And then, and then I would follow up like four days later. I had a system, um, but that was the, that was the whole thing. So you get up, you get your shit together, then you get high, and then you go run errands because you can run errands high, right? 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 That makes sitting standing in line. This is before cell phones, so standing in line at the bank while you're high <laughs> is way more exciting than standing in line at the post office when you're sober. I remember. Seeing Johnny Taylor one day, we met for lunch or coffee or something. And yeah. I said, how, how are things going, man? And he goes, I'm trying this new thing. And I'm ready to hear that he's on like a new fad diet or a new exercise program. He says, I'm trying this new thing. I said, what's that? And he's all, uh, just getting really baked uh, before I go to work every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to look forward to that book. The Johnny Taylor get really baked before you go to work method. There are some <laughs> things to be said for it. I mean, the few jobs that I've had, like I worked at a t-shirt store. I worked at a video store. It's perfect. Uh, you, right. 
you connect with customers. Yeah. But I, I worked in I an worked aquarium. In a I worked dispensary, so it's not really. Um, yeah, I worked at Capital Aquarium. Yeah, and being able to like look at a tank full of fish with someone and be like, "Wow, those are really beautiful." Right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that yeah. helped. Nothing wrong with it. I could remember, it. you know, you'd get jaded when you work in the hobby that you yeah. love. But then, sometimes you, you know, forget. Get, get a little high and you remember, oh, wait, what we do yeah. is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You forget sometimes and somebody yeah. offers you money to come smoke their weed. And you're like, man, I, I got a pretty cool gig. Right, right. <laughs> oh, man, I got I got paid to play video games two days ago and I'm, my head is still spinning. It's, I'm like, it's that's wild. I tell, people, I tell people in the beginning of my career, like, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, hey, come to Seattle. We'll put you up. We'll give you food. We'll give you some free drinks. And you just have to talk for like 45 minutes. Right. Every night. And then we'll give you money at the end. <laughs> right. And now hey, I'm like, well, how much money can like, you give me to come yeah. to Seattle for four days and just we, talk we, for 45 minutes? We would like to fly you to our party. And also you get to be the center of attention at the party. <laughs> and, <laughs> and everyone's real excited about you being there. Right, right. It's uh, I mean, it's a lot of work. People, people give me a hard time sometimes. Not a hard time, but they're like, "How do you get a job where they just pay you to smoke weed?" I'm like, "Well, first, dedicate your life to weed for 20 years, right? Yeah. Face arrest, be an activist, show up at city council meetings, sign petitions, right? Defend oh, all the dispensaries when the feds show up. Don't you know? Yeah, yeah. So just automatically happen. And some of your activism got caught on film." When uh, Doug Benson made yeah. Super High Me, that was the day I, I lost my job. I didn't know that you were in it, and I was I was watching it. I was actually in L.A. for a gig, and you know, late at night, you got nothing to do. I was like, yeah. oh, I'll put on Doug's movie, and then I was like, Hey, it's a guy! <laughs> I didn't even know I was in it. So, so you you lost your job because of it? That was the, my dispensary. That was the dispensary I worked at that it got raided. Oh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I saw you yeah, yeah. being active there, but I didn't realize that. Oh, that's. Yeah. So um, tell me about the first time that you got on stage doing stand-up. Senior year of high school. Oh, wow. Uh, the band director, Randy Jong. I had a huge crush on his sister. He was way older than her, but we were, we were in like eighth grade together. I had, I had the best crush <laughs> on her. Uh, we're still homies. Um, cool. And my crush is smaller, but um, well-contained. Um a proper crush is forever. Listen, you know, <laughs> uh, she's still fine. Um, but he, we are doing the band concert and he's like, I need you to tell some jokes between the band and the jazz band or some shit like that. And I was like, I don't, okay. I don't know any jokes. He's like, no, dude, you're hilarious. You're always telling jokes. You're always doing this. You're always doing that. I was like, well, all right, so I'll try it. So I think I wrote like three of my own jokes and then I stole a bunch of shit from old comics from HBO from nice. circa 1978, 79 or whatever. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I got maybe four laughs, but it was fine. But I was always funny. Like I was the funniest one at theater class. I missed class clown uh, senior year only because I only went to that high school for one year. And the, the guy who beat me had gone all four years. So everybody knew him. Ah, but um, he had an unfair advantage. Unfair advantage. Unfair advantage. <laughs> Um, and so then when did it, you know, become like, this is just what I'm going to do all the time? Uh, well, I had become a juggler by that point after high okay, school. Ah, I was working see, at okay. the, this is what I was thinking about when I was getting ready to interview you. Cause it's complex. <laughs> How is this complex? 
you just, this is like this is your life right now. You, you, you do a lot of history teacher or whatever. You, you do you do a lot of stuff. So now there's the juggling. You gave me the best advice one time. I called you after a corporate gig really got me down. And a lot of my <laughs> peers don't do corporate gigs. Right? They're hard. And I'm trying to get the hang of them. And it's one of the toughest nuts to crack. And I yeah. I I called you or I texted you, I don't remember which, kind of despondent. And I was like, Ungayo, how do you do this? And you said, corporate gigs suck. Uh, I keep some balls on me. And if the jokes aren't working, I just start juggling. <laughs> That's true. I was like, I don't know how to juggle. And you were like, yeah, you're screwed. Like, <laughs> hey, man, what are you going to do? Corporate gigs are hard. They're hard. That's why they pay more money. Right. They're hard to do. <laughs> There's also uh, the thing where, like, I did one for Nestle. And I got the crowd on my side and they were laughing, but I did it by making fun of the fact that they had a chocolate fountain there and it wasn't Nestle chocolate in the chocolate. Oh my fountain. God. <laughs> and so now all the suits in the room, the people paying me are all glaring at me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, geez. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to succeed or are you going to make the boss happy? <laughs> uh, listen. They, they signed a contract. They have to fucking pay you. So Right. I stand by my choice. I stand by your <laughs> choice as well. So, all right. So the juggling. So, yeah. So I've been working at Pier 39 for a year so, or so. So street performer. Yeah. And because so every day I would see the these, uh, you know, and I'm working for slightly over minimum wage was not much in 1980 something or other when they're taking right. money out the like, check. And so but every day bucks, right? I'm watching these guys do three, four shows a day and just raking in cash, raking in the cash. Right. So I decided to just go make friends. I introduced myself to Robert Butterfly Man Nelson, and he was hella cool. Uh, may he rest in peace. He was he was probably my mentor at that time. Okay. And um, he invited me to the Jugglers Jams. And it turns out that uh, one of my homies, his roommate, was a former juggler and street performer. So he had the gear because juggling gear is kind of expensive. <laughs> and I, I didn't have a lot of money. So I borrowed all his shit. And I practiced every day for hours and hours a day till I was a halfway decent. I was not a good juggler, but I was a right. halfway decent juggler. And that would be the excuse for me to riff in the street and, and tell the joke. So we formed a juggling duo. We so in the same off. way that you now can fall back on the juggling mm-hmm. during a comedy set, at that point, you could fall back on the comedy during a juggling set. Yes. As jugglers go, I'm an excellent comedian. Right. <laughs> And you got invited, you said you got invited to the Juggler's Jam. Oh, what? That's yeah. like getting getting a front seat at the teddy bear picnic. You got to explain to me what the Juggler Jam they used Juggler's to have Juggler Jam Jams. Is. They used to have Juggler Jams in San Francisco. They still do. Uh, I think it's Sundays at the, at the, it used to be Polytechnic High School, and now it's like the Circus Arts Center, right? Okay. And this is somewhere so, in public. Any of us can go watch the Jugglers can have their jam. Anybody can jump in and juggle and learn to juggle and practice juggling and hang out with jugglers. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, my son, when he was in San Francisco, he's in college right now, but he would go on, uh, on a lot of Sundays, although he decided to join the dark side. He's really more of a magician now. Ah, I just got a deck of cards. I'm getting back into it. He's an excellent <laughs> magician. He's an excellent magician. Uh, you know, it's probably because he's a Pisces or whatever, but um, <laughs> he's he's a better magician. Than I, I know like three magic tricks. I never really tried to even be good at it. You, you know what a skeptic I am. And you're saying all this Zodiac stuff. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. But I went, whoa, to magic. And I also am a Pisces. So, ah, you got me. See, <laughs> that's how it goes. So, yeah. So they used to have juggler jams at the Pickle Church. That clears it right up. Yeah, sure. And, uh, of course. The Pickle Church. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Pickle Family Circus building. 
Oh, excellent. Okay. Now that I do know. Right. So that was every Tuesday. And then um, it kind of got shut down. And then so then I ran the Juggler's Jam for a while. And then uh, then kind of fell apart. And then it migrated to uh, the, the Circus Arts building. Okay. So, yeah. So I learned to juggle, put together an act. Was not great. I mean, it was okay. Still good. I mean, you know, I have some tricks and I'm very, very funny. But the first few shows were definitely kind of rough. It's hard to gather a crowd sometimes. You have to, right. be, you know, you have to gather a lot of attention. Not only do you have to gather their attention, you have to make them want to stop and take 20 minutes out of their day. And then at the end, sure. they give you money. I tell you what, man, even just uh, getting people to take a flyer out of my hand when I worked for Spike and Mike, it's an art form. Managing a street crowd, they they just want to walk by, and I I didn't even need them to stop. I just needed them to take the flyer. What's the so I, I feel you. joke? Oh, here you throw this away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I used to say that to people. Well, that, <laughs> thank, thank you, Mitch Hedberg. That line worked. My other was I would I would literally just hold it up and go, "Sex with me." Sex with me. And people would take it because they were like, what? Like they needed to know what the hell. And then it's just an animation festival. They're like, oh, why is he saying sex with me? This isn't Vegas. <laughs> right. It never, I never got laid through that particular method, but I got a lot of flyers no. out. I'm surprised, Keith. I'm so surprised that that yeah. didn't work. I, I'm not saying I didn't, you know, I, I had other methods. <laughs> I'm sure you have game. It yielded more success. <laughs> you know, All right. Everybody's so, got their methods. So you're out on Pier 39. You're juggling. Yes. All right. And how much stand-up are you doing at this point? I'm not doing very much stand-up at all. No, this is uh, leading into the stand-up. It's leading into the stand-up. Here's the thing. Pier 39 in the summer and fall and spring is uh, can be very lucrative. And then you can also pick up different street fairs and other things like that. And they also pay money. Pier 39 in the winter is ass. It does not pay a lot of money. The crowds are kind of small, as you can imagine, that people don't want to huddle around outside right. on a rainy night on the pier. Right, right. You try to juggle five balls or torches or whatever. So uh, I had to find some sort of other thing. And um, people, you know, people just always tell me I'm, I'm, I'm often on the if three people tell you there's an elephant in the street, you should go look in the street. People are always like, you're funny, you're funny, you're funny. And I listen to a lot of stand up. And I'd finally gone to a couple of stand-up shows and I was hanging out with some improv cats. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna give it a whirl. So then you have to go to open mics, you know, and there's the Rose and Thistle and the Holy City Zoo and the other cafe and all these other spots. And and uh, we used And to these throw- are legendary spots. I mean, this was a very special time. This was in a fertile San Francisco time. comedy. I got in on the ass end. I didn't turn 20 till 1988. So comedy had just started to boom. The boom was just starting to wane, but people just comedy okay. was still pretty big. But at that and, time, and you I, still do time. have Gregory Proops, uh, Paula Poundstone, Will Durst, Sue Murphy. Durst, uh, these guys are all hanging out. And, and Rob Williams. Warren Thomas, Bob Slayton, uh, Bob Rubin, Phil Van T, uh, Ray Booker, Wiley Roberts, all these guys. All those guys right. are, they're kind of the legends. And then coming up, you have me, Blanca Patch, Patton Oswald had just moved to town. Tom Rhodes had just moved to town. Margaret Cho, we went to different high schools nice. together. She was starting to do comedy. Um, uh, I, I mentioned Brian Pesane, uh, and a bunch of other cats. Clinton Jackson, you see him on Disney. Uh, all these guys, Mark Curry, uh, okay. Aisha Tyler. So we were all just starting to come up at around that time. So we, we were definitely like a fresh wave uh, of 
comedy. And uh, so, you know, and then you start trying to get on at the punchline. That's like, that was like the big room in town after the other kind of shut down a little bit. And uh, so I just started hanging out on Sundays and, uh, you know, I managed to get up a couple times, told a couple jokes, did a little juggling. <laughs> oh, okay. So the juggling did come into the stand-up scene with you. That's that's what I had, right? So yeah. Right, so right. when I did the the Sacramento comedy competition with uh, Jesus, that was Scott Edwards when he was running the last. Oh one my did, God, Scott Zach, Edwards, nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, or whatever. Uh, yep. I was definitely more of a juggler with jokes and a comedian who could juggle if he wanted to. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, but then, you know, as you get more and more into juggling and you also don't want to carry hatchets on airplanes, uh, you just kind of <laughs> leave them, leave them around. I think I left my hatchets in a hotel room once. And I was like, I'll just buy another set. I'm not really trying to fucking check in. Luggage. Right. I'm just trying to go home. <laughs> I'm sure the person cleaning the hotel room was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why are there three hatchets just lying on the bed? I don't see any blood. They're checking the news. Yeah, <laughs> like, I right. don't know if I should call this in or not. Man, who was here? <laughs> what, who was that guy? Uh, so yeah. So then, and then, and then I did the San Francisco International Center of Comedy Competition in 1990 and came in ninth place. And uh, Chris Collins, may he rest in peace. Everybody's dying. Yeah, uh, people do that. We're getting old. He uh, he won, and he had all had had a bunch of triple. So back then, when you won the competition in 1990, you got ten thousand dollars, and then you immediately got two weeks. So you had a week at the Punchline San Francisco, and a week at the Punchline Walnut Creek. Uh, and he okay. had had some triple gigs set up that he couldn't make because he had just won the competition. And I was like, uh, "I'll do them." <laughs> and he goes, "You got now, an hour?" I go, "Yeah, Chris, I got an hour." I, I think I think we're we've mentioned triple runs on this show before, but triple runs are basically I mean they're legendary among comedians. I and miss in fact, them when so you much. and I first went on the road together, it was a triple run. David I don't triple, think it was triple, but it was a triple esque run. Okay. I think, yeah, maybe I just called them all triple runs back then. Yeah. <laughs> but David Triple would book these one nighters at various bars, a lot of them in, in tiny little towns. All over. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes you'd get up and hit the road, you know, you'd perform and be out until two in the morning and then get five or six hours sleep, get up, get back on the road again to make it yeah. to the next gig on time. Especially if it was snowing. Right. <laughs> and it was such a, I, there was a romance to it where it was like, you, you felt like a comedian because you were, you were living that life, you know? It's very existential. Yeah. Right. Cause you have your itinerary. And then, you know, so you're in, uh, you're in Tri-Cities today. So then you get up, you tell the joke. So then you're, you got to show on Goldendale and you got to figure out where the fuck Goldendale is. Right. Goldendale. And then you got to drive down to Bend, right? That's the next day. And then you drive over to uh, Medford. That's the next day. And then you drive up to Roseburg, right? And, and uh, you'd cover some serious miles. You cover some serious miles, but also it's super comedy intensive. Right. You right. have a show every day, five days a week. And sometimes an extra. Sometimes he's like this frat, this fraternity is throwing a party. They hired a comedian. You got to perform for the Missoula Chamber of Commerce before your show later tonight. But they're going to throw you some me, extra money. Let me so, ask you about a piece of advice I was given by a mentor of mine when I first started doing triple runs. All right. I got good at it. Like we were mm-hmm. talking about corporate work, like each different place you kind of figure out. Yeah. And I figured out triple runs. And to Pontrevetti said, Keith, good for you. I'm proud of you. 
don't lose yourself in that <laughs> audience. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, making them happy isn't what's going to impress the punchline. Making them happy isn't what's going to let you build your own audience and develop your unique voice. That is, And I was like, what are you saying? And he's like, I'm saying they're morons. <laughs> I always thought that that was the specific challenge of doing road gigs though. Right. When you're, right. Doing, when you're doing bar gigs or, or gigs like that, gigs that aren't like the traditional club or theater setup. Um, it's not necessarily that they're morons. Uh-huh. I mean, it's easier in some ways now it's easier to play a small town because everybody's got the internet, everybody's got cable. So the pop culture references are a little more universal. I mean, right. you know, when I first go on the road, I'd be like, play some James addiction. They'd be like, who I'm like, what are you talking right. about? It's a, fucking, it's a banger. This is not Hawaii. Right. Uh, and everybody would just stare at me. I'm like, well, that's the latest Jay Z who, uh, <laughs> but I always thought that the point was to be able to, get your point across or to talk about what you wanted to talk about in a way that they can understand. So it's right. like technical writing. You've got to break it down for them, but not like you're not talking down to them. Yeah. You're just I, I telling think them where you're coming from. That's kind of the ultimate. I think the first thing you learn to do is just survive. Oh, oh you the, all, you I'm also gave me. I'm fortunate in that I'm extremely likable and animated on stage. I'm not like right. Keith Lowell Jensen, who's not the human rain delay, but he's definitely <laughs> from the Franklin Ajay, Ron Shock, slower paced school of comedy. Yes. I did a show with you in North Bend <laughs> for an older audience. Yeah. And when I came off stage, the MC went up. And as he's introducing you, you kind of took me to task. And you said, dude, what What the hell? Like, you didn't do this joke. You didn't do this. And you're naming a bunch of my best jokes. And I said, Ngayo, these people are like 90 and those jokes are filthy. And you looked at me and you just said, watch this. And you walked <laughs> on stage and you did like 10 minutes about uh, cunnilingus. And sure. it, it was full of act outs. And yeah. These, these 90-year-old women are falling out of their chair, and not because they were having strokes. Uh, they were just, <laughs> just yeah. laughing so hard. And so the next set, I went up, and I and I was dirty, and I was myself. And, uh, and yeah, you were right, and I had been holding back where I shouldn't have been. <laughs> Listen, one time I had done a street show at Pier 39, and it was fucking horrible. Uh, messed up the juggling none of the jokes landed it was it was a horrible show and i was sitting there feeling really sad and uh my boy robert robert nelson the butterfly man had had watched the show and that was another thing too robert was watching the show man and he's like my mentor my hero and i really want to kill and it was oh god it was the worst and uh he came up to me and he's like hey man never let those guys get in the way of your good time nice and I took that, I've taken that to heart probably too much in certain aspects of my life. <laughs> I definitely took it to heart. Oh, that's great. I want to, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to tell a story about uh, being on the road. Uh, a story about you and Doug Stan. I think it was Doug Stanhope. You can correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Waco, Texas. Being in Texas and, and being invited after the show to go to a certain entertainment venue. Why don't you take it from there? <laughs> I don't know if we were invited. I was feeling, well, you, you know. You were told about it. Yes. I, I like adventure. So I had asked the uh, 
the the bartender at the at the club after after we finished the show. I was like, "What? Where? Where's the strip club? What can we do? Is there something to do around here?" He's like, "You? Yeah, there's a bring your own beer strip club, three miles <laughs> outside of town." Say it again. A bring your own beer bring strip your own club. Beer strip club. That's just the best. <laughs> three miles outside of Waco, Texas. I and, I was telling Joe about this, and I said, "A bring your own strip club," and I forgot to say beer, and Joe's like. <laughs> Bring your own what? Like, what are you bringing? I was like, no, not, not your titties. I mean, obviously those are going to be with you, but. Listen, you probably could have. You probably could Right, right. You so, know. okay. So, so bring your own beer strip club. Wow. Yeah. So you guys drive on out. We grab some beer. We drive on out. And, and let me point out too, Doug had like a Chevy Love truck. And I swear to God, he kept that thing going on like drinking straws and good intentions. <laughs> it would not run on days we didn't have gigs. If we didn't have gigs. <laughs> He had to sit around and fiddle with it and do some shit. But if we had a gig, that room right to it. Oh, that's the best. It was a weird. It was like Doug Stanhope road comic magic. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so we roll out. We roll out to the strip club. And and this is a true story. When we walk up, the doorman turns and I saw him. He had his back to me, right? And I saw him kind of talking to his buddy, like I, I don't know what to do. And then he turned around, and his shirt said "White Power." In very, very big letters. Wow. And I really did think it was the funniest thing I had seen in weeks. And <laughs> if, if no one's picked so up on this hard. by you having Black Panther parents, let me just stop and paint a picture real quick. How, how tall are you on Gaio? <laughs> Six foot three. I was probably like 225 at that point. Six three, 225. Black man, did, did you have dreadlocks yet? I did not quite have the dreadlocks yet, but I was definitely <laughs> kind of big. All right. Yeah. And yeah. So so he turns around with his white power yeah, he's shirt. He's like five, eight, too, with his white power shirt on. <laughs> But I laugh. I just thought it was hilarious. I laughed so I laughed so hard that he started laughing. <laughs> he also figured out that it was really funny, and uh, then I have a whole bit in my act about how you know you're clearly not White Power's best mascot, right? <laughs> if you're the doorman at the Bring Your Own Beer Strip Club. <laughs> That's not the white power that's keeping you down. Right. You don't look anything like the private prison industry, homie. Right. Maybe, right. you know, uh, an incarcerated member of it. Yeah. Yeah. If anything. If anything. <laughs> and so, you know, I think he let us in for free even. And, oh, that's the best. Because <laughs> it was so funny. And then we, you know, hung out. It wasn't even that good of a strip club. It wasn't even, it wasn't either. No. Listen, you're I kidding. Like, listen, here's the so thing. Bring your own beer strip club. Here's, a, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I either like my strip clubs kind of glitzy or super skanky. Okay. <laughs> super skanky. Like, am I going to get mugged? <laughs> like, these are the things. And so it wasn't even, it was just like a regular run of the mill strip club. It wasn't even, it wasn't even super dangerous or super upscale or anything. So Do you, there was nothing to recommend it. So we hung out for a little bit and then we just went back to the hotel. Do you and remember? Figured out how to get the car started. Right. Do you remember when we were in, uh, where were we? We were in uh, just just in Klamath Falls. We yeah. were in Klamath Falls at Legends, the pizza parlor, bowling alley, comedy club. I got picked up on by a couple, and the funniest thing to me was when I got in the car in the morning, and I said, "How was your night?" And you were like, "Good, good, man. I I got picked up on by this freaky couple," and you described him, and I was like, "Do they have a type?" <laughs> Their type is comedian from out of town, I guess, because the same couple wanted whichever one of us they could get. And it turned out they couldn't get either. But 
the, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense, though. Because if you're a couple in a small town and you're freaky, that guy's you want someone town. from out of town. That guy's you know? leaving town. Yeah, I was like, what do, what do me yeah. and Gail have in common other than being funny? And I was like, oh, we're, we're not, not from there. Right. Yeah, we won't be bagging their groceries the next day. No, and that's no. not a euphemism. We might exactly. we might exactly. bag their groceries awesome. that night. You know, <laughs> they, they were Paper so plastic, Keith. yeah, <laughs> they were they were so not subtle. He's like, "Can I buy you a drink?" And I said, "I don't drink," which is always a bummer, you know, for yeah. someone to have to hear from their comedian. And then uh, he says, "Well, what are you drinking?" And I had a soda water and lime in front of me, and he goes, oh, "I'll get you one." And I'm like, "Gee, thanks." <laughs> so, so he put the soda water and lime in front of me and then he starts talking to me about his wife right in front of her yeah he's like hey look how good she looks huh you should see her naked i was like oh okay maybe you should she's she's a dancer i was like oh all right, all right. Good, good to know uh, so yeah turned out they wanted me <laughs> turns out they wanted some Angayo too yeah i don't i i must have repressed that memory because i don't remember them trying to hit on me because i probably would have gone for it yeah, no, I think you already had something happening because you left. You left the bar before I did. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> it's okay. You were out of your own area code. It, <laughs> have we met? It all blurs together. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then the other the other thing I remember that was so fun from that road trip. Well, I remember I I got in the car with you, and this my road trip wife really had a big effect on you. You know what? It did because <laughs> it was my first time doing that kind of a run. Oh, okay. And because and you were you were mentoring and you were cool. Yeah, thank uh, you. I remember you you wanted to stay at a much nicer hotel than I would have opted to stay at. What did we and have a night off or something? Yeah, we went to a, a weed event and we oh, saw right. uh, Perone speak. It was incredible. Oh, that's right. And so I was like, ah, I'll, I'll stay here too. Like, I don't want to be a stick in the mud or whatever. And you like slipped me 40 bucks or whatever. You were like, let me help you with the room. I know you would have stayed somewhere cheaper. That's and I was goes. like, wow. I mean, that oh. maybe that's how it goes in your world. But I haven't had another headliner. And, and not that I even expect it. But I haven't had another headliner be that cool and consistent. It's and then you hard. also, you also told me the headliner the buys. You said the headliner buys one meal on the road too. I try to buy at least one meal. I try to buy at least one meal for the for the opener on the road because well i've I, i've I paid that forward i've paid that forward since when i've taken people on the road good looking out so looking yeah out. it was cool though that was a good time and i remember tons of music some cigars i remember my wife, all the snacks brenna made my, my wife packed us like a month's for worth of three snacks. days she packed like a week's worth of snacks well that was the first thing you said you were like she knows it's only three days, right? And then an hour <laughs> later, when you've got this whole spread of snacks in your lap, you're like, tell your wife I love her. I was like, she knows the guy. She knows. <laughs> I do. I do love Brenda. She's <laughs> oh, man, that was a blast. Uh, and yeah. I totally forgot the other story I was going to tell. But I know that I didn't like – where Where did we see Perone speak? Where, it's where the Shakespeare Festival is. Ashland. In it was in I, Ashland, Oregon. I hated Ashland. I have been to Ashland so many times, and it's always been weird. It's it's a weird town because. But when I went with you, we had a good time. It's uh, privileged people who think they're hippies. Is that what it is? Yeah. Man, has that town just tripped me out every time. Yeah. No, I have a homie lives in Ashland, and uh, there was a moment when um, he wanted me to work for him, and he was going to pay me decent money, and I might have had to move to Oregon, and I was like, but I'll probably live in Medford, (laughs) (laughs) which is twenty minutes away. But it's uh, it's you know it's more my vibe than the Ashland vibe. So we're leaving and I say to you on the way out, this is 
the best time I've had in Ashland, no one's been weird. <laughs> and as I say it, this dude is pumping our gas because you can't pump your own gas there. Right. And you look out the window and gas is just pouring all over pouring the floor. Pouring out the car. And then he wouldn't give us a discount. I was like, well, I don't want to pay for all the gas that fell on the floor. And he yeah. goes, well, how, how am I supposed to calculate how much went on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Estimate in our favor. How about? <laughs> yeah. You got to do something. because. But I then I also went ahead and paid. And You're supposed like, to be the professional. Right. <laughs> it's, you right. Have this is one why, job. This is why I couldn't pump it, right? Right. right. But I went ahead and paid. And I was like, good. I got my Ashland story. I almost... Missed getting my Ashland story at well, the last minute. He came through. I'm and glad he delivered. I could help. I'm glad I could <laughs> so you went into the publishing business there for a minute as well. I ran a magazine on the How Hard Can It Be model. Okay. Uh, I called my homie Richard Lee, who was running Oaksterdam at the time, and he was selling all kind of clones and flowers. He had a couple measures E clubs in Oakland, and we had been homies and activists together. Okay. And I said to him, I said. Man, wouldn't it be cool if we had a magazine highlighting all the cool weed on the West Coast? And he was like, yeah, it would. Here's $30,000. And I was like, the fuck what? Man, those are good friends to have, aren't they? Right. Right. No, a mad peace and love and respect to Richard Lee for, from this day forward for the rest of my life. Um, and so all of a sudden, I was in charge of, of putting together a magazine and running a magazine and distributing a magazine and selling ads for a magazine. And um the first issue came out and it was fucking terrible. And I fired everybody and <laughs> hired a whole new crew. Like I was trying to save money. I was like, okay, so we'll just ship, we'll ship the, we'll have them printed in Florida and then we'll ship them to California. It's even, do, even doing that. It's way cheaper than getting them printed in Los Angeles. And then there was like some freak storm or some shit. And the magazines were like a week late and Richard's on my ass and the paper was all wrong and the printing looked terrible. And the dude who'd done the layout was like, it was all fucked up. And I was like, oh, my God. So then I called my homegirl, Hera Lee, who did the graphic design for uh, for Ed Rosenthal's books and all that stuff. I was like, Hera, you want to just do graphics for this magazine for me? And she's like, sure, I'll do it. And then I called my boy, Michael, who was a weed activist and a great salesman. I'd seen him just sell shit and like he could prime money out of sponsors. They'd be like, yeah, we'll give you $2,000 for this. He'd be like, can you do $5,000? Oh, like, nice. You know what? We can do $5,000. I was like, you're fucking hired. Dude, just ask. Just ask. Dude, just ask. And so. got to live by that. Me, Michael, and Hera, we ran that shit for like three years until the Obama crackdown. And I lost all my customer base. And I lost my house and my car and my girlfriend. But well, yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, and, you, you and bought a house a and everything. And, and yeah. Yeah. It's because the uh, dispensaries, I mean, that was your main, they were also saving the free weekly magazines. The free well, yeah, press so depended we, on we came so out, we came out once a month and, and yeah. And so when we first started, uh, the weekly magazines weren't really taking cannabis club ads and there were hundreds okay. of cannabis clubs in Los Angeles and a bunch in San Francisco and a bunch in San Diego and all these other places, they weren't taking ads. These guys wanted to spend ad money and they had no place to go. And so it was like really good timing. And so we just jumped into it and our rates were very reasonable. And, uh, and you know, we had relationships with stoners and we knew how stoner culture worked. Right. So our, our drop dead deadline was the 20th, but for everybody else, the deadline was the 10th. And then when they call you on the 15th, right. <laughs> you'd be like, okay, I can sneak you in. And then when they finally get you the shit on the 19th, you can charge them extra. And then you're a hero. <laughs> um, so, 
so yeah, so it, it it was it was great. It was great for two and a half, three years. And I, and 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 then even and for that, I actually started I could do comedy for love too. So right, I, I didn't have to just go. On I remember you telling me that gig that I wanted. Yeah. I could just be like, Yeah, man, I'll I'll come up and do your little freaky weed festival for a hundred dollars in a sandwich, man. I'm making money, it's all good. I'm flying out, everybody's staying at a nice hotel or whatever. Yeah, really nice to not have to worry about making a living at it. Did that, honestly, did that affect your writing to not have that pressure on you in a good or bad way? My writing is weird. I wish that I, you know, you go on tour with some guys and they get up and they write jokes every day. Right. And I don't, it doesn't occur to me. Right. Um, And I don't. I really, I, I prefer to write. That's why I like triple runs. Like I really need a good triple run right now. I need a good, just two or three weeks on the road in small towns and bars where you're tired of your act after about the first four days. Uh huh. And then you start expanding. You start adding, maybe you add some jokes to some bits you already have, but then you start writing a whole new bits because you just need new bits. You just need new something to talk about. I just, I don't always do it when I'm at home because I'm, you know, I got to clean the kitchen. I got to do this. I got to do that. <laughs> I got to fucking file these things. I got to call this guy. I got to send these emails. Blah, 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 blah. I don't really think about just sitting and writing jokes, but then when you're in the car and you got five hours to the next gig, that's the time where you can just sit and relax and let your mind open up and think about, I, I really write most of my jokes in the car. If the dude next to you will shut up. If the dude next to you will fucking <laughs> shut up. Jesus Christ. That guy also wanted me to read. He had a uh, trivial pursuit. He had a box, okay. a trivial pursuit box. And he just wanted me to read the questions and oh then read God. the answers. Oh my God. I'm like, wow. don't you even want to play or try to guess? He's like, no, I just want to know. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Hey, hey, Angayo, if you could reach under your seat, I have an encyclopedia. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you that could would be even to- more interesting. I used to read encyclopedias as a kid. But, I mean, if it's a trivia game, you might as well <laughs> right. have a go. Take a stab at least back. try, yeah. Just a little bit. Give it a whirl. <laughs> Test your brain. So one See thing you I was curious. Infer. <laughs> one thing I was curious about was that, you know, I watched all the um, – dispensaries go away all about wellness was right down the street for me at the time they're back um i watched them all come back in fact they they never went all the way away they just went undercover they went bigger than ever um i i wondered why uh, west coast cannabis didn't come back well there's a couple features uh one we lost all our advertising and therefore all our money because it was a free magazine and then uh there were a couple other there was like kush so kush magazine showed up and they had hot sales chicks, right? Okay. Uh, they, they Their content was shit, but their paper was super glossy and thick and their covers were nice. Uh, uh, and also, they undercut. They undercut our ads. And I know for a fact, right? So listen, I started, you know, on the magazine business on the how hard could it be? But at the end of the year, I would pick up a magazine and I would look at it and I'd be like, Oh, this is 64 page, blah, blah, blah. It's on 70 weight gloss. Yada, 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 scoopy, scoopy, scoop. Right. 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 Cause, Cause that's you, know, you. you. You get into stuff. You got to learn it. You can't just fucking, you know, you got to know about it. Right. Right. So, so I'm looking at their paper and I'm looking at what they're charging for these ads. I'm like, there is no way 
they're making any fucking money. And it turned out I was right. They lost like a million dollars. They put wow. themselves out of business. They put me out of business. They put this other magazine out of business because their concept was, well, we're just going to lose money for the first few years and then we'll have the monopoly. They just fucked that, up the whole game for everybody. They could have just bought my magazine from me for half a million dollars. I'd have been right? like, you can have it. I'll stick around as editor. We could all make some money. That's the business model of our age, though. That, I mean, that's Amazon. Amazon lost money forever while driving. That's Walmart. That's that's everybody. I still that's don't what, understand how being a dickhead is a profitable business model. Right? But that's me. I also don't understand how you can be on a TV show, get fired for being a racist, and they give you $10 million to quit. Oh, my God. The, the, uh, the golden parachutes, man. How do you get a gig? I would love to have a gig where I could fuck it all up and they give me millions of dollars. Afterwards. Yeah. That I've never great? had a gig like that. Oh, man. I just watched that documentary on uh, uh, the we, the, that startup for co-working spaces. We work. We work. And that they guy, take that got, guy like a billion dollars to go Over away. a billion dollar parachute. To go away. I never even heard of that before. That I'm he like that. You up. could buy a country for that. <laughs> fucked everything up. Fucked it up beyond all repair. Oh yeah. And they gave him a billion dollars. That's amazing. Man, sometimes I wish I was a dickhead. <laughs> I think we can all get there. Um, listen, as I as I start to wrap up, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that I had a chance to To tell you that that road trip with you did mean a lot in my <laughs> development <laughs> as a comedian. And I Thank bet you. that you've played that role to a lot of comedians. I've actually watched you enjoy playing that role. Sure. With, with Wendy? Yeah, Wendy's great. Wendy's say Wendy's, great. Say really Wendy's last name because my Wendy M. Lewis, out. the awkward. Wendy M. Lewis. Yeah. I wanted, I, you know, I get mixed up with Wendy L. Williams, my hero. That's of course. That's the only name that yeah, they, look, they look a lot alike. <laughs> Identical. Only their mother can tell us apart. I see you doing similar things with her. Yeah. Uh, and and there have been there have been others over the years. I think you you like that. You like mentoring and encouraging young talent. I wanted to be a high school teacher. Um, yeah, exactly. So now you're doing it. You're doing it with comedy. Yeah. You do have, you, you are performing right now. You have regular, I think monthly online gigs. 420 is the next one. If you go to nowhere, uh, you could go to nowheretime.com. It's going to be a great show. Uh, Wendy Lewis is going to be there. Corey Robinson, Maggie, uh, Maggie May from Texas. Oh, uh, I Serena love Maggie Gamboa, May. Uh, Brian Pusain and me. It's a great show. And you got some big names. Show. You've had... Drew Carey? I've had Drew Carey. I've had Christopher Titus. I've had Doug Benson. That's uh, great. I've had I've had Lori Kilt Martin and Jackie Casey. Oh, I love both yeah. of them. It's, You've had I Keith Lowell Jensen. I've had Keith Lowell Jensen. The one thing, the one silver lining, I guess, in this pandemic is when you want to do an online show, uh, it's or just put together a comedy show. Online makes it so much easier. Right. You don't have to when you're trying to get your buddy to do a show with you. You don't have to fly him to Chicago and put him up and blah, 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 blah. You're just like, hey, man, do this show. He's like, all right, I don't have shit to do. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you know, just right. It's like show up and talk for, you know, you don't have to tell jokes. We'll just chop it up for 20 minutes. We're both naturally funny. I've had Greg Proops on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, that, that, there's another guy. So generous. He, he did our podcast. Yeah. Greg uh, is a sweetheart. He's one of my uh, he's the best. people in the world. Um, so yeah, if, if people want to find you and to, uh, to check out that stuff as well as whatever else you're doing, where, where do they go to Instagram and Twitter is where I spend most of my time. N G A I O four two zero. All right. 20. 
Um, yeah, that's usually the best place. Also, you can just follow me on Facebook. Um, I think I'm at my friend's limit, but I keep my whole uh, profile public. So you can just follow and cool, hang cool, out cool. and chop it up, ask questions. I'm not super, uh, I don't post anything too personal on there. All right. I wanted to close out and do the credits over a song from most chill slack mob. And I asked you to send me one and the song you chose was epicenter. What can you tell me about epicenter? Which first I will say that drummer is the business. That's my boy, Scotchy 800 shout out Scott Genovese. Who's one of my favorite drummers in the world. And I was fortunate and lucky enough to be in a band with him. Um, He was a rock drummer. uh, Okay. And a stand up comedian when I was putting the band together and I heard him play and I was like, this guy would be great in my band. Uh, but he, he was a rock drummer. So I had to teach him about the pocket and, and laying back and not overplaying a lot of shit. So Cause I you play him, drums as well. I play, I play, I play the congas and the percussion and stuff. I'm a, I'm a decent, I'm a, I'm a halfway decent set drummer, but I don't practice. I remember um, we we did a show together did and show? you you hopped on the drums. Yes. We did a show with a jazz band and Kasim Bentley was like, "I didn't know you drummed." And I was like, "How could you look at him and not know he drummed?" <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I'm not a great drummer, <laughs> but I can listen. Right? Musicianship is listening and paying right. attention and feeling the mood. Should you be quiet here? Should you be loud here? Should you be making a lot of, you know, filling in a lot of things here? Should you be have a minimal approach here? Where's the thing? So that's the vibe. So right. uh, that's 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 where I'm at. Uh, so yeah, so I gave Scott a copy of Midnight Marauders from uh, Tropical Quest, and it changed his nice. whole world. And all of a sudden, he was like the super funky pocket drummer with a big fat kick drum rock and roll sound. Which oh, was, that's the uh, best! Right up my alley. Yeah. So Scott was the drummer on that. Uh, Mo is the other vocalist. I'm one of the vocalists and the percussion player, and I'm on the guy. If you listen real close, you can hear these little wooden drums going. That's me. And then Mark oh, nice. is the DJ. And uh, Alan Herzer, uh, Big Cheese, rest in peace. Damn it. He was the bass player. And uh, and then I think Chooch, Chooch was on guitar at that point. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was that was our last. Um, I think we put out two EPs in an album and that was from the album. And, um, and what was the name of the album? Uh, what was the name of the album? Urban, <laughs> Urban Mind Expansion. That, that's it. Urban mind expansion. I just looked at the cover. That was our signature sound. That's what we called our sound, the sound of urban mind expansion, because I've been following the dead a lot. And so I wanted to be more psychedelic and open-minded, but with more of an urban feel because I'm a fucking hip hop kid. You you bring a lot of disparate influences together. We do a lot of jamming. And sometimes we would freestyle whole songs on stage during concerts before anybody was really doing that. That's awesome. Th- thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, man. Yeah. Have me over anytime. We'll do the show oh. again next week, too. That sounds good. You'll be my permanent <laughs> co-host now. I, uh, I can't wait till we can pack in the car with uh, a month's worth of snacks for three days again and go hit some clubs. We'll set it up. I'll call Dave and see what he's got. All right. This is Epicenter from Most Chill Slack Mob. I have been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor. Our art was done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer was Jack Matranga. Joe and Jack are with Hyperpixel. Hyperpixel is a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Our music theme song, which I love, was done by DJ Real. And once again, thanks to our sponsor, Burley Beverages. Go sign up for our Instagram, comment on the Mojito picture and win yourself 
that cool mojito kit from Burley Beverages. KLJ rules with a Z will get you 15% off. If you haven't already, go watch my comedy special, Not For Rehire. It's still on Amazon Prime. You can leave a review and it's going to be featured on Roku. So check that out and subscribe and review to this here podcast. Tell a friend that's our lifeblood. Thank you very much. Until next time. Mwah. Underneath our feet we'll find life At the epicenter where the ground shakes Underneath our feet the spinning wheel At the epicenter where the ground shakes Underneath our feet the sun sets in the sea At the epicenter where the ground shakes Underneath our feet
Jesus. 